Church, I am so stoked to be with you this week. My name is Anne Miranda. I feel like we're like long distance cousins. I'm the sister that you've never met before. Um, and here I am in your living room. So I want to tell you a little bit about me first before we get started into this amazing portion of scripture. Uh, my family comes from Lebanon. My uh, parents immigrated to Canada over 50 years ago, which is now telling of my age a little bit. Uh, I married to Carlos, which is an amazing Latin name. He is a romantic Latin man who stole my heart. Uh, 15 years ago, we have two beautiful children, Nathaniel and Hannah and live in Surrey, British Columbia. So I'm coming to you from the West Coast. A little bit more about me, though, because although uh, now you know that I'm a pastor at Village Church in Surrey, my uh, trajectory of life did not uh, start off thinking that I'm going to go into ministry. Rather, I worked or started working at the Attorney General's office in government ever since I was 13 years old and doing crime prevention programs there for youth, uh, and then ended up in education, working as a high school teacher, uh, teaching Spanish and English for many years. So it was a few years ago, uh, six years ago, where I... Uh, felt really truly, and those that are in ministry understand this language, a call from God to shift and uh, enter into this role as pastor of women's ministries at Village Church. We are a multi-site church. There are six sites across Canada and more on the horizon. So exciting. And I get to lead women's ministries, uh, develop programs, develop leaders, and teach the Word of God. Look, my heart truly is to equip people who call ourselves believers to understand the Word of God, understand this Bible, know it, and then apply it to our lives. And so that's what we're going to do today. Uh, I believe that we're going to have some fun. We're going to just unpack this word together. So my question to start off today is how would you introduce yourself to me? How would you define yourself? And some of us, we start to, that introduction and it can be a little bit awkward and we're like, where do I start? How do I actually introduce myself? But some will start off with our career and start saying, you know, I'm a teacher, I'm a nurse, I'm a social worker, I'm an audio engineer, whatever that could look like for you. Or maybe you define yourself as your position in your family. I'm a dad, I'm a mom, I'm a daughter, I'm a son, an auntie, a grandpa, whatever that looks like for you. Perhaps it's your character. The more that we have conversation, the more you'll tell me, you know, I'm hardworking or I'm trustworthy, I'm a loyal friend. And there's layers to each one of us. Maybe by the end of our coffee or tea time, you'll tell me about your hobbies. Some of you are athletes or musicians and dancers. That could be your profession as well. And I know you at Sanctus Church, you love the Enneagram. And I bet somewhere in our conversation, we'll talk about, are you a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven? I'm a three. And so a perfectionist, achiever, peacemaker, what does that look like for you? How would you actually define yourself? You know, it's really, it's really interesting. The more that we have conversation, the more we'll feel comfortable with each other. And some of y'all teenagers are already singing that song, I'm savage, I'm sassy, I'm bougie, I'm whatever. And some of you are like, what, she's savage? She's like, does she like the wilderness or something? Honey, 
Honey, you know what? This girl that's preaching on the TV just said, bougie, can you get your Bible dictionary and let's look that word up? Uh, that's not going to be in your Bible dictionary. That's going to be in the urban dictionary. And you can ask some teenagers that are in your life or some young adults. The point is, how do you define yourself? Because it matters. It matters. We're entering into the scene of Ruth. And I want you to imagine with me what's happening here. The movie starts off with these words flashed on the screen. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And the opening scene pans out to famine and hunger and kids with the inflated bellies because they are hungry and there's death and there's disease. And this Jewish family is moving from Bethlehem to Moab where maybe life is going to be better because they think they're going to have better opportunities. And the patriarch of the family named Elimelech, whose name actually means my God is king. And he ends up going there with his wife and his two boys. And as they enter in and they're trying to make you know, ends meet in all this new place of hope, perhaps in their minds, all of a sudden the scene pans out and Elimelech has died. And Naomi is around him with her two sons and they are wailing over this body of their dad, the husband, the this patriarch dad. That would have been the source of their income, their livelihood. They are now freaking out of what is going to happen in their future. And Middle Eastern funerals are not just like this conservative, like kind of event. There is like, it is animated. There, she's probably dressed in black. The kids are probably hanging off of her. I mean, this is a scene where the whole village is around. People know that there is fear happening at this moment. And her two boys are named death, like wasting away is the translation, and sickness. I mean, who has a baby and looks at them and says, oh, I'm going to name this child measles. This is a great name for this child. Like, what is going on in here? In the Hebrew text, they are like, actually, their names are sickness and death. And as she is going through all of this worry and thinking, what is going to happen? We are going to go into poverty. Can my kids actually take care of me? This, the, the, there's this increase, this escalation that happens in the next scene. We know that the boys get married. They get married to women that are not Jewish. And there is still uncertainty and turmoil in the land. But then the boys die. They actually live out their name. That's a whole other study. We can't get into that right now. I, I spent like weeks and weeks teaching through Ruth, but we're going to get the condensed version today. So these, met, these guys die, and there's three women that's left, Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws. And this scene begins one of fear, fear of survival, fear of potentially becoming slaves, maybe even sex slaves. They don't know what their future holds. There's just fear prowling around these widows and the world wasn't what it was. Where is God on, in this scene? Where is God in the midst of suffering? And Naomi decides, maybe she's like folding laundry. Maybe she was just sitting down having a cup like a cup of tea. Maybe she was just going like, God, what am I going to do? We don't know that part, but an idea comes to her and she goes, we're going to go home. We're going to go home. Each one to their home. These girls are not from my country. I'm going to go back to where I'm supposed to be. Potentially I've got some family there. She's just thinking logically because identity is where my passport is. That's my nationality. Maybe I belong there. And so they end up going on the trek back home. And on this fork in the road, 
there is this beautiful scene where Naomi looks at her daughter-in-laws and says, you guys go back. Maybe you're going to get remarried again. Maybe you'll have a better hope in a future on that road, but I'm going to go down this road. One daughter-in-law leaves, but Ruth and Naomi stand at this fork in the road. And this is what happens when Ruth qualifies her identity in an extremely countercultural way. And she says in Ruth chapter one, verse 16 to 17, Ruth responds to her mother-in-law and says, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. But where you die, I will die. There I will die and I will be buried. I mean, this girl's not like whispering. She's not going like, yeah, your God will be my God. Your people, my people. Like she's like, this, this is passionate expression that is happening with her mother-in-law. She's like, no, your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Because in verse 18, Naomi saw Ruth's determination, it says. And she said, okay, I'm not going to counter this girl. I'm not going to actually discuss anything with this girl. Let's go. And so she ends up leaving. See, Ruth knew what her identity, she knew her birth identity. She knew that she married a man of a different culture, a different family. She knew that. She knew what hardship was and what grief was. She knew that if she were to go down that other road with Naomi, there was a potentially a risk of people seeing her as a second-class citizen because she was a Moabite. And you have to go and study the history of Jewish people and Moabite people and how that was a, that was a huge racial tension at that time. And it was throughout the generations. And Ruth's going, I'm going to enter into potentially a racist situation because they're going to know I come from a pagan culture. Ruth knew that she was born into a culture and a religion that she could do nothing about, except she could choose to identify herself with Naomi. She could choose to tell, say to her and mean heartfelt, where you go, I'm going to go. I'm not going to leave you. Your people, I'm going to enter into community with you. I'm going to enter into relationship with your God. I want to be adopted into this family. I want to be adopted into this family of God and into your, this family, this community that you have. Will you let me is really that plea at the fork of the road and the road. And because of that choice, we begin to see the things that unfold in Ruth's character throughout the entire book. We see her faithfulness in chapter one. We see that she's brave and she's bold and kind of risk taker. By the time we get to chapter three, we see that she's uh, actually described as noble. In chapter two, she's savvy, she's smart, and throughout the entire book is this word called kindness. It's the closest word we can translate in English, but in Hebrew, it is called hesed. And I want to just land here for a minute. Kindness in English, you're like, you, we teach our kids to be kind. We're like, hey, don't be you know, mean to your sister, to your brother, or whatever. When there's random acts of kindness, when you pay for Starbucks for the person that's behind you, right? You, you all do that, right? Uh, there's, the, there's this word kindness that kind of circulates within our culture, within our, our, our kind of circles of life that we kind of throw it around, be kind. We even put it on t-shirts, be kind. But the true essence of hesed is not this simply throw around word. It means loyalty. It means love. It's devotion. It's like so much love, the kind of love that I'm willing to endure pain. I'm willing to uh, endure personal sacrifice and loss. I'm in it for the long haul. That's Hesed. 
And so in chapter one, when Naomi's response to Ruth is, oh, wow, Ruth, may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord give you his said, give you this love for the long haul as you have given love to myself and my family. And then as we get into the next chapters of chapter two and chapter three, we see the same word repeated over and over again. And look, when there's repetition in the Bible, this is why I love highlighting. I actually print out the entire, whatever book I'm studying, and I put it on half of my page and the other half I leave blank because I am going to tear that thing apart. I'm going to highlight, I'm going to circle, I'm going to start uh, listing out words that are repetitive. And in the, in the book of Ruth, kindness is one of those repetitive words words. And as you do the word study, you see that as Ruth extended said to Naomi, then she meets Boaz and Boaz extends said to Ruth. And then by the end of the book, God extends said to Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz with the gift of a child and the legacy of their family continues. There is a ripple effect of the decision that Ruth made at the fork of the road that she could never foresee because out of her lineage, comes the Messiah. She would have not known that when she looks at Naomi and says, let your God be my God and let your people be my people. She doesn't know. She cannot foresee time. But the point here is that because she made that decision at the fork in the road, there was a cause and effect that happened all throughout the book of Ruth. There are these juxtaposing kind of foils, these opposites. I'm taking you back to English lit right now. We see at the beginning there's famine. By the end, we see there's a harvest. We see that Naomi's name is changed to bitterness. By the end, we see her, her referred to back as her name Naomi, which means pleasant. We see that there's reference to the Moabites and their pagan gods and then the God of Israel. We see that there's widows and then they marry. There's a barren. There's no baby. There's barrenness. And then there's birth. There's death. And then there's life. The, throughout the entire book, you see that there is this identity that was and a new identity that God destined for this family. Knowing her identity. And as she developed, she knew herself more and more and more. It informed her decision-making. You know, as she declared that she believed in her heavenly redeemer, anchored her life. So how you define yourself and how I define myself truly matters. It can change our entire history and it can impact the entire trajectory of our life and our future. How you define yourself impacts the present moment and how we actually react to the circumstances that are around us. And so if we fast forward in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15, because see, we get the whole picture. Ruth didn't have the whole picture, but we get the whole Old Testament, New Testament, and we know what is to come. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15, it says, we're made a new creation. The old has passed and the new has come. What does that mean? Because it's an easy phrase. It's, well, we've probably memorized that that verse, but what does that actually mean? The old has passed and the new has come. So if we think of our lives, really, when we take these verses in isolation, we lose some of the context. So verse 14 actually says, when you ground yourself in the love of Christ, then you start to live that out and the old has passed 
and the new has come. It means our, the affections have changed. The affections of our, of our heart, the stuff that we used to love, the sassy, the bougie, the what we used to love now changes. And we have this new identity. We're uh, enveloped. We are welcomed into a new family. This new family is characterized by hesed, by how we love. In John chapter 13, verse 34 to 35, Jesus says, I give you a new commandment. To love others is how I've loved you. Whoa. How Jesus has loved us. So selfless. Let that sit on us for a minute. So selfless. Not critiquing. Not ever throwing the first stone knowing where he came from and what he was supposed to do on this planet. Love others the way that I have loved you. That's not a simple task because it's not our, our natural tendency to love. It's not our natural tendency to be selfless like that. It's not our natural tendency to think of the other instead of ourself first. And so we've entered into this covenant of love with our Savior. And that is just a beautiful thing if we sit there and go, okay, well, he invited us to, into this relationship of love. And now has said is give it away. So Ruth entered into relationship with God, the Father, and then she gave away that kindness that was extended to her into the community, into the people that she encountered. Everyone knew her by that quality. Now, if we translate that to us and our identity, we have the Savior, Jesus Christ. We know that he died on the cross for us. And through that sacrifice, he extends the sacrificial love to us. Can we extend his love to others? Because that's how this world will know who he is. That's how this world will be healed. That's how all this turmoil that's happening in our world, we can actually bring hope and joy because that's what is embedded in Hesed. That's what's embedded in that kindness that when Ruth entered into a situation when there was all this famine and disease and strife and division and all this stuff that was happening around her, she didn't just get overwhelmed by that, but she actually offered kindness. She offered love. She offered something that would counter it, that would bring healing and hope. So when we enter um, into relationship with God and his family, he teaches us what it's like to have new community. Like, how do we actually define ourselves? Because this is the moment where we really need to get real and, and take a good look in the mirror. Are we defining ourselves by our broken families? Are we just defining ourselves by our, the dysfunction that we've lived in our past? Are you defining yourself by the bad decisions you made in your past, in the old? Are you defining yourself by unforeseen circumstances that have happened of death and tragedy and maybe even abuse? Like you're looking at a girl that is, has, I can tell you the story of Ruth. And I know that this word is alive and it's real and it's so ever relevant in the past, in the present, in the future. But when we apply it to our lives, I've seen death in the ugliest form by the, the, the bedside of people that are wasting away in hospice because cancer is eating at themselves. My own dad passed away from cancer and I, at the end of his life was like a skeleton. But I've been by the bedside of many in those death and tragedies many times over even children, where you see tubes all over the place, those kinds of tragedies that just rock your being. 
I have been abused in my life, in my childhood, in my adult life. This is something where I'm not just preaching a sermon to you because it's fancy, great Christian words to say. This is like real stuff. This is real. This is real, so real that when I encountered Jesus, I did not have this word growing up, but when I encountered him as a young adult woman, there was nothing that was going to take him out of my grip. It was like, I found truth. And I feel so, um, I can really relate. And sometimes we do this. We want to find ourselves in the Bible. Well, this is the one character I love to look at and go, oh my goodness, Ruth. It's like, I feel like she like found God just gripped. And I'm not letting go of this. I'm not letting go of my community and I'm not letting go of God because I found truth. And I truly feel that in my, in my own walk, in my own journey, uh, how does that apply to you? How does that apply in your life? What's, what's your story where have you gripped God, gripped Jesus and said, this is my identity. You know, when I found out that there is something called a great exchange in Isaiah 61, and I want you to dare to imagine this with me. If you've never heard this before, this great exchange that happens where he says, give me your mourning, give me your grief, all of that, that, that shame that you have, and I'm going to give you a joy. Give me your despair, and I'm going to give you a promise of a future. Give me your, the fact you have no family, and I'm going to give you a family. You're going to be adopted into my family. Give me your dishonor and your disgrace, and I'm going to give you a double portion of honor. I'm going to give you a double portion of hope, of joy, says the Lord. That's what Jesus did when he died on the cross. He actually says, give that to me. I'm going to take it all, and I'm going to replace it for you with my hope and my love and my joy, because isn't everything in this life trying to rob you of joy? It's trying to distract you of the things that are, that are real, that really matter. And all these stresses come, come, come in and they try to just replace the love and the hope and the joy of Christ. And he's saying, no, hold on. I got a great exchange for you. Let me take those things on me. And I'm going to give you love like you've never experienced before. I'm going to give you hesed like you've never experienced before. A devoted love that is willing to sacrifice till the end. I'm here for the long haul because you are a child of God. That's the defining factor right there. How do we define ourselves? By the end of Ruth, the family is doing what's right in the eyes of God. The scene closes. And they're believing that they're children of God and they're living out their love for God. But this invitation is not just, you know, let's have a perfect life. Let's ha live a life with no stress, no problems, no suffering. That's not the point. The point is that the relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, says that if I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. That's the invitation, is that with relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, I'm, I'm going to be anchored. No storm, nothing in my life is going to shake me. I'm going to be unshakable because I know who I am. I know that I am a beloved child of God. Because at the end of the day, that's all that matters. My resume doesn't matter. My career doesn't matter. My role as parent gets informed through what I'm believing in, in scripture. All of my Enneagram scores and all those personality tests, those things don't matter at the end of the day. 
the thing that remains, the way that we really find out who the real you is, who the real, the real girl, the real guy that's watching this on the other side of the screen, who you really are, is defined by how am I living out as a child of God? And so I want you to pray with me as we wrap up today. Let that word sink. Even I love giving homework. I was a teacher for 15 years. Sit down and think, what does God say about me as his child? Look through the book of Ephesians where he says, you're adopted into my family. You're my beloved. Next time you want to go and do a Bible study, don't pick up anything else. Don't pick up some other kind of, you know, commentary and other, just open up to the book that you want to look in. I prefer Ephesians and go, what, who does God say I am? And as we start to discover who we are as his children, we start to live that out and this world will be impacted. This whole world, our church, our family will be impacted if we can really understand the depth of what it means to be a child of God. So pray with me. Lord, I know that there are people that are listening to the message for the very first time today. They're listening and they're hearing about Jesus for the first time. And to those people, for to you that is listening, that goes, you know, this Jesus thing, I've been thinking about it, but I don't know. I just, I'm not sure about all those people that call themselves Christians and all of those people who think a certain way. I'm here to just be that voice to say, God loves you. You're his child. He sent Jesus to die on the cross for you. And through that, we are reconnected with our Father in heaven. And so if you're hearing this for the first time, take some time and reflect. What's your life all about? What's the old? What's the things that you've been spending your time on? They may feel meaningless and purposeless. And so I pray that you would lean into a relationship with Jesus. And it's simple. You just say, Jesus, I want you to enter in to my life. I've been ignoring you for these years, but I want you to be part of my life. So help me figure this thing out. Help me figure this thing out. I want to do life with you now. And if you're a Christian and you call yourself that, a believer, a saint, remember who you are. Lord, I pray for those that are listening that we would repeat uh, Ruth's declaration. God, I want you to be my God. I want to be identified with you as father within your family. I want to be identified as one with you. God, I pray that you would help us live this truth out, that we would live out hesed, that we would live out an agape love. We would live out a love that is selfless, that would give joy. We would be carriers of joy, of peace, of love to those that are around us. And if you are a Christian and you are struggling in life, and just like Naomi wanted to change her name to Murra, that means bitter. God, this life is bitter and it's hard right now. I pray that you would let him in as a father. God, I pray for those that are suffering through real tragedies, those that are going through really difficult times, whether that's financial burdens or they have, you know, gone through death and seen such tragic things, I pray, Lord, that you would give them hope right now, that you would be their anchor, that you would allow them to declare, even though it feels like you can't even speak sometimes, God, that even a whisper would come out and say, as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because I got you, Lord. I got you. I pray that it would be enough for us. It would be enough to define ourselves as a child of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 